Please pray with me. Lord God, we proclaim indeed that we are raised to life through Christ. And as we consider these things even more carefully now from your word, we pray that you would encourage us and compel us in the accomplishments of Jesus on the cross. Amen. There are a lot of different ways to describe what was accomplished through the cross, through the death of Jesus, and through the subsequent resurrection. It's simultaneously for us both a somber consideration and a celebratory one. Because God acts in multiple ways during those three days in human history. And some of those ways were seen, and some of them were not seen, at least in the moment. People could see Jesus being beaten and see him on the cross suffering. People could see that Jesus died and that he was put into the tomb. And they could see an empty tomb and even see the risen Lord himself. These were some of the things that were seen. But this morning we consider some of the things that were unseen. And I want to do that through four words. Four words for Easter from Colossians chapter 2 that help describe how the cross and the resurrection are applied to you and to me and to the spiritual powers of the world. These four words, whether you are a Christian or whether you're just still trying to figure out what your relationship with God is supposed to be like, these four words will not only encourage you, but also help you to understand why indeed the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus is the most important thing that has ever happened in human history. And so I'm going to read from Colossians chapter 2, just two and a half verses, just starting from the middle of verse 13 through verse 15. And if you have a Bible open, please feel free to follow along. This is what it says. Colossians chapter 2, starting at the middle of verse 13, it says that God has made us alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Four words for Easter. The first two are applied to us directly, and the first word is wiped. It says in verse 14, that he canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. The record of debt that is being referred to is all of the laws of God that we have broken throughout our lives. The record of debt is referring to our sin. And it's a pretty scary thing for many of us to think that God has a record of our sins. Most of us don't even remember the sins that we committed yesterday or the day before. We're quick to push them aside or quick to dismiss them, but none of them pass out of the view of God. None of them slip by his gaze. He knows and he feels and he even records every single one. 
Now, many of us have assumed or been taught somewhere along the way that God is keeping a record of both our good deeds and our bad deeds, both our our good works and our sins. And as long as our good works outweigh our sins in the scale of divine justice, then somehow God is going to show his mercy to us and find favor with us and let us into eternity with him. But this is incorrect for a couple of different reasons. Number one, it assumes that the weight of our good deeds and the weight of our sins are equal, that there's a one-to-one correspondence and weight between them, when in fact, the weight of our sin and the grievance of the violation is much more significant than the credit that we might receive for something good. And that's why it's called a legal debt against God's holiness. But secondly, that idea of the scales of divine justice doesn't take into account the good news of Christ on the cross. Because when Colossians 2.14 says that God canceled our record of debt, the word canceled literally means to wipe away. And I love the picture that creates. Imagine it with me the coffee ring around your cup on the counter this morning, met with a paper towel, wiped away like it was never even there. The list of your transgressions on a chalkboard when met with an eraser, wiped away like they were never written down in the first place. The ledger of God Wiped away, not tallied, not put on a scale, not trying to have that ledger balanced. Wiped away like it never even happened. This is what Jesus does on the cross. This is what it means to be forgiven. It means that all of the sins that you have committed before God, all of them, are wiped away. Like they never even happened in the first place. Canceled the record of debt. Wiped. The second word that we consider is the word nailed. The way that the ledger is wiped clean is given to us in this vivid word picture in verse 14 of nailing it to the cross. And the word picture portrays that the same nails that pierce the hands and the feet of Jesus drive the ledger of our sins upon him. And to say that they're nailed to the cross is to say that they no longer rest with me, but now they're over there. That they're not coming back here, that they're over there. That they'll no longer be held against me, but that they're affixed up there. And it's in those moments that you can actually meet God at the cross because You're purified and able to enter his presence in holiness. It's in those moments that the sacrifice of Jesus is applied to you who have faith in him. Because it's in those moments that the blood of Christ washes away your sins. There's a lot of wonderful expressions about nailing our sins to the cross. I think of the famous hymn and how the hymn writer says in verse 3, My sin... Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole. 
was nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Wiped. Nailed. This is good news for us. The third and the fourth words are applied to our enemy. They're applied to Satan. But they have great truth and benefit for us. The third word is stripped. Verse 15 says that he disarmed the rulers and the authorities. The rulers and the authorities that are being referred to are referring to spiritual powers and beings. It's referring to Satan and to his minions, the demons. The spiritual realm is functioning all around us, even in our midst now. And sometimes we perceive it, and sometimes we do not. But I venture to guess that whether or not you have an ongoing relationship with God or you're just trying to figure out what your relationship with God is like, I'd venture to guess that almost everybody believes in the spiritual realm and knows it to be real. You know it to be real because we sense evil sometimes, don't we? We know it to be real because we've experienced spiritual darkness sometimes. We know it to be real because we know what it means to be tempted. And we know what it means to feel guilt. Satan is called in the Bible the ruler of the earth. And this spiritual realm is one in which he has been engaged in since the beginning of time. And furthermore, the word Satan, or the name Satan, literally means accuser. And you can picture the image with me, can't you? That you were told a lie, and you believed the lie, and believing this lie allowed you to do a number of things, to give in to your temptations and to your passions, and even to sin against God. And to keep living in sin against God. And that sin makes you guilty before God, who is always been and always will be perfect in all of his ways and who has established a divine order of things and a divine law and so the picture is one in which satan stands in the divine courtroom of god pointing across the gallery to you directly and saying he did that she thought that did you hear what he said when that happened god surely he can't be one of yours Surely she can't be one of yours. Surely there is no way in which you will let him into your presence. And the accusations flow day and night against you as the indictment rolls down before God. But Colossians 2.15 says that he was disarmed. And to disarm someone is to take their weapons away. <laughs> And the word for disarming here literally means to strip someone, to strip them of their weapons. It's like the idea of stripping someone of their title or their rank. It's like the idea of stripping someone of their clothes. It's a violation in some ways. It's aggressive in some ways. And Jesus' death and resurrection strips Satan and his demons of what they have. And it does so in two ways. 
Since our sin is wiped away, since it's nailed to the cross, Satan no longer has grounds to accuse us. The accuser can't accuse anymore. And so you see this dynamic where Satan continues to accuse against someone who's already been declared to be pure. Satan continues to accuse when the ledger has already been wiped clean. Satan continues to declare us enemies of God before God himself, who's already declared us to be friends. And not just friends, but sons. And not just sons, but heirs. This is what Jesus does for us on the cross. He completely changes our status before God, and before Satan. And so Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, gives us this great picture of what's happening. It says, I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. who accuses them day and night before our God. Satan is stripped of the grounds of his accusation. And secondly, he and his demons are stripped of their power over people on earth. And this is really good news. You are not forced to follow evil spiritual powers. You are not beholden to your sinful patterns or desires if you have put your faith in Christ. You are not controlled by the devil any longer if you have your faith in Christ. Satan and his demons continue to fight a battle for souls, but they're fighting the battle as a defeated foe. The battle has already been decided. They've already lost. Victory has already been declared for Jesus and for those who have their faith in him, even though it rages on. In 1837, Hans Christian Andersen wrote a short children's fairy tale called The Emperor's New Clothes. Many of you know the story. And if you don't know the story, I reckon that most of you know the saying that often comes from the story. In the story, there's an emperor. And the emperor loves clothing. And he decides that he wants to have some new clothing made for himself. And there are two crooked weavers who have moved to town. And they promise to make a suit for the emperor made of a special fabric that is invisible to anyone who is stupid or unfit for their position. And so they go through this elaborate ruse and they measure the arms and the legs and the waist and the chest of the emperor to fit him for his new suit. And they go away and supposedly construct this new suit and they bring it back and they put it on him. And everybody watching is too afraid to say a thing because they can't see the suit, but they don't want to be viewed as stupid or as incompetent or unfit. And so they say nothing. And the emperor decides that he wants to show his new glorious clothing to his kingdom. 
And so he leaves the palace and he goes out among the people and the people are aghast to see the emperor and they remain silent and nobody says a word because they don't want to be viewed as stupid and they don't want to be viewed as unfit, though they can't see the suit. Until one innocent little child in the midst of the crowd points his finger and says, the emperor has no clothes! And in that moment, everyone realizes they've been hoodwinked. What a great picture of the stripping of Satan. He will posture as if he is still the Lord of the earth. People will still say that he has great power, that his ways are best, that his priorities are the best priorities. And we live in a culture right now where that seems to be a common claim. But the emperor has no clothes. He has been stripped of them by God. And so it's not surprising then that the fourth word is shamed. Wiped. Nailed. Stripped. And shamed. It says, he stripped the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. It wasn't enough simply to defeat the accuser. It wasn't enough to wipe away the accusations. It wasn't enough to nail those accusations to the cross in the greatest display of love and mercy and forgiveness and power. Satan was also openly shamed by the resurrection of Jesus, and he remains so today. In the ancient world, victory parades would often follow great battles. And in the parade, the generals and the soldiers would march triumphantly through the streets of the city. The flags were held high, the music was playing, the battle regalia was on display for everybody to see the victors. And following the victors were all of those who were captured in the battle, bloodied and bruised, chained together, walking through the city streets in the parade. And the reason why they did so was so that everybody could see their open shame. Defeated. No power left. Nothing but shame and ridicule remained. My friends, Satan has no power over you if you are found in Christ. He's been stripped and now he is shamed. And I know that it doesn't always feel like it because we live in the in-between time, the time where there's still difficulty, where there's still suffering where there's still temptation. And the more and more you look around our culture and many cultures of the world today, you might say that it feels a lot more like Satan is not the one who's shamed, but it's the Lord Jesus who's shamed. <laughs> it feels like Satan is not the one who's shamed, or his followers are not the one who is shamed, but it's the followers of Lord Jesus that are shamed. Even this morning on Easter Sunday of all Sundays, in Sri Lanka, 200 plus people have died in churches from bombings, trying to laud up 
that Jesus is to be shamed and his followers shamed as well. It's getting harder some ways to see and to feel and to believe that Satan is shamed. But my friends, this is where the power of the resurrection and where your faith in the risen Lord Jesus turns into hope for the life to come. And it motivates your actions right now. Because the promise is this. Because Jesus rose from the dead, those who have their faith in him will rise from the dead as well. And so Paul says in Romans 8, 18, I consider the sufferings of the present time not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed to us. The opposite of that glory revealed to us is the shame completely of Satan. Why? Because the victory has been won. Because Satan has been stripped. Because he's been shamed. And this means that you can have new life right now if you put your faith in Jesus. And so the risen Savior of the world invites you to come to him. To trust him. To be forgiven by him. To be freed from the things that enslave you of the past. And to enjoy the victory of him forever. Satan is shamed every time you resist temptation. Satan is shamed every time you exercise faith. He's shamed every time you share the gospel, the good news of forgiveness with somebody. And he is shamed every time another person believes in Jesus. And furthermore, his agenda will be seen to be shameful. Those who champion the values of the world, the lifestyles and the priorities of the world will come to see that when the curtain of the divine drama is lifted, that agenda will be shamed along with the one from which it originated. Wiped. Nailed. Stripped and shamed. Praise God. Praise God for the work of his son on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, which ensures his victory and ours. This is the work of Jesus. And I commend him to you. Let's pray together. Father, we recognize that we benefit from the work of your Son through faith. And so I pray today for those in our midst who have faith in him for the forgiveness of their sins, that their faith will be emboldened all the more in confidence because of these four realities that we talk about. For those here who are still trying to figure out what it means to have faith or to trust Jesus or who have their doubts or hesitations, we pray today, Lord, that you would enliven faith within them so that they experience these benefits of the resurrected Son as well. The victory over sin and death and the devil as we are forgiven of our sins forever. We thank you for this glorious thought. In Jesus' name, amen.